Well, again, it's good to have all of you here. And again, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Easter Sunday. We have a couple of little granddaughters that we're quite proud of. In fact, they were here up until yesterday. They had to fly back home to Illinois. We don't like the fact that they live in Illinois. They need to live in Lakeland, South Lakeland, 33813 Lakeland. And yet they live. But, you know, they were here for a week, and they actually was able to extend it for a few days. Unfortunately, they're not able to be here today, but they're, they're sweet little girls. Kinley is three, and Landry is one, and then they are expecting a little brother or sister in late October, November, early November of this year. Well, Kinley's very, very bright. She uses these big words. A three-year-old should not even know, and she uses them in the right context. She's a smart girl, but even smart little three-year-olds can get details mixed up from time to time. Recently, her mom asked her, uh, Kinley, because like your kids or grandkids, who I hope are in church all of the time, she's in church all of the time, and so uh, Nicole decided that she was going to go ahead and ask her if she knew what Easter was and really didn't know what her response would be. So she said, Kinley, what is Easter? And Kinley said, Easter is when Jesus was dead but then he came back to life again. How many of you know so far so good? We're all right. So far so good. Then he came back to life again. And then he gave everybody an Easter egg with chocolate on it. My kind of girl. Well, she got the details messed up just a little bit. Well, that's okay for her to get a little confused on the details because even adults we get confused on the details as well. John Cases, uh, for many years, has been a motivational speaker, and in the glory days of the Chicago Bears, he was often brought in, and he would give like a pregame motivational talk. John Cases, great guy. And he tells the story about on one particular day, and those of you who follow NFL football, even if you are not a Bears fan, you would remember Mike Ditka and Jim McMahon and William Refrigerator Perry. And John Cases tells about this. He says, uh, Mike Ditka was about to deliver a locker room pep talk one day. He looked up and saw defensive tackle William Refrigerator Perry. How could he have not seen him? At 338 pounds, the fridge stood out even among pro football players. Uh, Ditka gestured to the fridge, and this is what he said. He looked at the fridge, and he said, I'd like for you to close with the Lord's Prayer after I give this talk. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, meanwhile, Jim McMahon, if you remember his personality, this brash and outspoken quarterback, Punch John Cases, he says, and he looked at Perry, and McMahon whispered, he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Refrigerator Perry doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Sure enough, uh, Refrigerator Perry sat with a look of panic on his face, his head in his hands. He was sweating profusely. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, at least John, it's not accurate, but that's what John Cases was saying to McMahon in disbelief. But after a few minutes of watching the refrigerator leaking several gallons of sweat, McMahon nudged cases again, and this is what he said now. He said, I'll bet you 50 bucks Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. As Cases tells the story, he stops to reflect on the absurdity of it all. Here we are, he said, in the locker room, betting 50 bucks on the Lord's Prayer. When Dicka finished his pep talk, he nodded at Perry, and Dicka bowed his head. It was quiet for a few moments before the Fridge spoke in a very shaky voice, and when he finally spoke, 
This is what he said. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cases said I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was Jim McMahon who said, here's the $50. I had no idea Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. So even, even as adults, we can get confused on some of the details. Now, I want you to track with me for just a moment. We're going to get into the message and the main points of it. But before we do, I want you to just think about something for a moment. You could actually go. I'm not saying you want to, and I'm not recommending it necessarily unless God tells you to. But you can actually go for several days without food. You probably don't want to start that today. But you could if you had to or if you wanted to. And you could go some time without water. It wouldn't necessarily be recommended. You couldn't go as long as you could without food. But you could go for several hours and even further than that without water. Did you know that you can even go a few moments without air? Not long, but without air, you can go a few moments. But did you also know you cannot live without hope? You just can't. You can't live without hope. Nobody can live without hope. You and I need to consider what hope really is. Sometimes you, if you were to ask somebody, you were to say, hey, what is hope anyhow? Somebody would say, all right, I'll tell you what hope is. Hope is a positive attitude. That is not hope. A positive attitude is a good thing to have, but a positive attitude is not hope. Somebody would say, well, I know what hope is. Hope is having an optimistic outlook. That is not. It's a good thing to do. I recommend that. But it is not what hope is. Hope is not a passive, a positive attitude. It is not wishful thinking. It is not an optimistic outlook. Genuine hope is trusting in God. It is believing, listen, friends, that God can do anything, anytime, anywhere, and in anyone's life because God is supremely powerful and God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. But the reality is you and I lose hope so easily, don't we? We can just lose it. And a lot of times, a lot of the fundamental reasons why we lose hope is because the reality is we put, we put our hope in all of the wrong places. We say, well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hope in this. I'm going to put my hope in this job, in this title, in this position. If I can only get that job, making this amount of money, living in that kind of house, driving that kind of car, having this kind of net worth, having these friends, then, then that's going to give me the hope that I've been looking for. And listen, you can have all of those things and still miss out on real hope because our hope doesn't come from our possessions or our annual salary or our popularity. Then where should we put our hope? Where should we invest it? Real hope comes from the greatest event ever recorded in history, which is Easter, the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, why is it that hope seems to be so fleeting? I, I don't know if you've thought about this a, a whole lot, but the reality is um, hope is easily sort of like air sucked out of our life because you and I we live, in this, we live in this broken world. How many of you have noticed we live in a very, very broken world? How many of you know that? Our world is messed up. It is not a perfect world. I mean, you just, you just think about it. I'll ask you some questions. And, and by the way, it's okay to talk in our church. I don't know what uh, you know, your church background is, but it's okay for you to talk back at the appropriate times, I might add. But it's okay for you to answer some of these questions. Uh, let me ask you this. Is our economy in our world perfect? Is it? No, it's not perfect. There's highs and lows. There's, you know, these, you know, good things that happen, negative things that happen in the economy, but we don't have a perfect economy. How many of you, how many of you uh, would say that the weather in this world is not perfect? It's not perfect. 
I mean, you'd have to say, which, you know, in Central Florida, it's been pretty perfect the last couple of weeks, but not everywhere is Central Florida. It's not perfect everywhere. Did you know that you, you and I can even enjoy, uh, you know, a perfect relationship? We can, have, we can have a great relationship. We can have good relationships, but none of us enjoy a perfect relationship. Why? We live in a broken world, and there's a lot of problems in this world. There's a lot of problems. Have you noticed this? You've been checking out the news lately. There's a lot of problems in world governments. Things are broken. Things are not perfect. Have you noticed this about your body and how your body sometimes feels? That you, How many of you have started to notice that your body is not perfect? How many of you have, have noticed that? Uh, on Monday evening, some friends had actually uh, said to one of the members of my family, they said, um, they said is, is Jeff limping? They had seen me walking. They said, is Jeff limping? I don't know if I was or not. And, and then they came to me and they asked me the same question. They said, are you, are you limping? And I didn't say this to them, but I, th- I thought this. I thought it later that day. If I was, I was because it was either because of my left knee or my right hip, one of the two. I don't know which. But, uh, you know, probably one of them was ailing me just a little bit. Nothing in this world is perfect. And we put our hope in all these different places, but we're not going to find hope in those things. So you and I need to place our hope in something that is dependable, has a proven track record, something that will not disappoint us, will not change, and I'm happy to tell you that Jesus meets that standard. For the next few moments, this is what I want to do. We're going to look at three people who encountered hopeless situations after Jesus died, after the crucifixion, after Jesus died. Each of these three people faced hopeless situations, but then they met Jesus after the resurrection, and when they did, everything changed. So for the next few moments, and it's not going to take me long. I know I'm from Georgia, but I can still talk fast. I really can even though I'm from Georgia. I can talk fast. I'm from North Georgia. So here's the three people. All right, first one, Mary Magdalene. Not all of you are familiar with the story of Mary Magdalene, but her story is not a a bright and joyful one. For a good part of her life, she has known chronic disappointments and shattered dreams and failed relationships. Mary Magdalene knew regrets and mistakes, and much of that was connected with her desire to be loved. You see, Mary is like the rest of us. Mary wanted to be loved. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. But in Mary's case, it led her into the wrong places and into the company of the wrong people. And if I could say candidly, into the arms of the wrong men. And as a result, instead of being treated with dignity and respect, numerous men had used and abused Mary Magdalene from one heartbreaking relationship to the next. She went on and on. Disappointments, frustrations, regrets about decisions she had made. But then one day, Jesus comes into Mary's life, and Mary, for the very first time, meets somebody that treats her with dignity and respect. And Jesus demonstrated that he truly cared about Mary, that he had this unconditional love for Mary. And I would imagine, the scriptures do not say, but I would imagine that it's highly probable that she had, by this time, categorically bunched all men together. But the thing she noticed about Jesus is Jesus was impressively different. And as a result of Jesus' impact upon her life, it changed her life. And Jesus did more than change her life. I'm happy to tell you that Jesus set her free. Jesus liberated her from all of her hurts and habits and hang-ups. 
And Mary possessed such a deep gratitude that I, I mentioned this recently. And again, I hope all of our new friends will be here next week. We're going to look at another one of these statements of Jesus from the cross. But when Jesus was down on the cross, there were very few people that went with him to the cross. You think about it. Everybody that he had helped and healed had scattered. Even his own disciples of the 12, only one was there, his best friend, John. His mom was there. Three to five of her friends were there. I mentioned John was there. And guess who else was there? Mary Magdalene. Because she felt this deep gratitude because of what Jesus has done in her life. But then Jesus experiences his final moments on the cross. He is dead. Mary is hopeless. The one person who really cared about me, the one person who really treated me with respect and dignity, the one person who treated me as though I've never made any mistakes, the one person who has never taken advantage of me, now he's gone, now he's dead. We pick up three days later. This is John chapter 20. I'm going to read several verses here. I want you to look at these verses with me. It says that Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. That's her deep devotion. Uh, I'll go and get him. You just tell me. You tell me where you've put. I know Jesus is dead. I know that they put him in this tomb. You just tell me where he is. I'll go and get him. And Jesus said to her, and all Jesus had to say is one word, her name, and she immediately knew who it was. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me yet, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Read these five words with me. What did she say? I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. What did we learn from the hopeless situation of Mary? And you've got to be sure you get this. Everybody needs to get this. She has faced a hopeless situation. You know how she's been treated. You know her past. You know all of, all of her fears and, and, and abuse and everything that she's been through. And now Jesus has been nailed to the cross, and he is no more. And then she has this encounter with Jesus. And what we learn from Mary's hopeless situation is this. Now is the time for a miracle. Now is the time for a miracle. You know, friends, I'm so glad that I can tell you that if Jesus is so supremely powerful that he could create uh, out of nothing the heavens and the earth, then certainly if Jesus can create everything out of nothing, then how many of you believe that Jesus is able to raise his own son from the dead? And if Jesus can raise his own son from the dead, then I'm happy to tell you Jesus is able to provide you with a miracle in your life. He is able to do that. There is nothing that he cannot do. I love this little story. I ran across it some time ago. It's about two friends who were out hunting. And some of you guys, you like to hunt and fish. Some of you ladies as well, maybe. And two friends were out hunting, and one of them was always bragging about what a great shot he was. About that time, a duck flew over. He took aim and fired, and the duck just continued to fly on unscathed. He paused a minute and said to his friend, My friend, you are now witnessing a miracle. There flies a dead duck. Well, it wasn't a dead duck. It was a missed duck. It wasn't a miracle. He was a bad shot. But Jesus is able to provide a miracle for you. Do you notice what Jesus said to her? He, he actually, when she turns, he says, you know, 
Mary. In those moments, Jesus asked her, you saw him a moment ago, Jesus asked her, why are you crying? And I would have to ask you that same question that Jesus asked Mary that day. Why are you crying? What's broken your heart? Why are you grieving? What kind of loss have you experienced? Maybe it's the loss of a dream. Maybe it's the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, a friendship. Why are you crying? Why are you sad? What's going on in your life that has caused you to cry? And I want you to know what Jesus said to Mary. Now, it's like he, he was saying to Mary, Mary called her name. Immediately she knew this is Jesus. It's not the garden. Mary, and she turned, Jesus, my Lord. And Mary knew what all of us need to know, that Jesus not only knows our name, but he knows our need, and he's able to do something about it. And then Jesus asked her another question. What is it that you're looking for? What are you looking for? I, I would have to ask you that same question. What are you looking for? Everybody wants to be happy. Would you agree? Everybody wants to be hopeful. Would you agree? So a lot of times we think, well, you know, if I could just do this, if I could experience that, if I could acquire that, you know, if I could have this boyfriend, this girlfriend, that job, that, that annual income, if I could live in this, if I could do, if I could have this, 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 what is it that you're looking for? And I'm just trying to say, listen, if you keep looking in the wrong places for the right thing, you're never going to find the right thing in the wrong places. You'll just come back to that place again and again. Mary had a hopeless situation. It was her fear. The one that really loved me, the way I've always wanted to be loved, the one that really cared about me, he's no more. And then Jesus appears. Resurrection Day, Easter. And Jesus demonstrated to Mary, now is the time for a miracle. Second person is Thomas. Thomas is actually one of the 12. He's, he's in close proximity to Jesus. He's in Jesus' inner circle, one of the 12. Many throughout the years have tagged him as they put a descriptive term before his name. They have referred to him, maybe you have and I have as well, as blank Thomas, as who? Doubting Thomas. And in just a few moments, you're going to see why he's referred to in this manner. You see, a lot of us here today could easily identify with Thomas. He was a person that had some honest doubts. Thomas was a thinker. He was not really a feeler type. It wasn't that he was going to feel an emotion and go with it. He was a thinker. If you were to tell Thomas something, he was not just going to accept and buy into whatever he heard. And when he hears that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning, initially he, he doesn't really believe it. He has some doubts about that. You see, Jesus, when he initially appeared to the disciples, there, there were 10 of them. Remember, Judas Iscariot, who's betrayed him, is no more. And so Thomas is away. Maybe he's away because he's a thinker. He's away and he's thinking. Maybe he's just needed some time to grieve the loss of Jesus on his own. And he's not there when Jesus makes an appearance to the other disciples. Later, they tell him the story. We have seen the Lord. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And he's more than just a little skeptical. He needs proof. And interestingly, Jesus never rebukes Thomas for this. In reality, and I want you to hear this. This is important. I don't know who exactly this is for today. I would imagine it's for several. But I want you to hear me. In reality, sincere doubts, when properly managed, can lead you to a rock-solid faith. Jesus never rebuked him. He never said, Hey, I'm, I'm really going to scold you because you should have believed. No, he knew that he had to find out some things for himself. I want you to check out Thomas's hopeless challenge. This too is in, in John 20. We're going to pick up at verse 19. Look at it with me on the screen. Again, several verses. On the evening of that first day of the week, 
when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, remember they, they all scattered. They don't even go to the cross. They don't want to be arrested. They're afraid that they're going to have a death penalty served on them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, look at this. Here's why he's called doubting, good old doubting Thomas. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into a side where he had been stabbed with a spear. He said, I, read it with me, I will not believe it. A week later, seven days later, his disciples were in this house again. And Thomas now is with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And when Thomas encounters the resurrected Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, believe because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Do you know that doubt can be a good thing? That doubt can be a gift if it leads you to the truth? Remember, Jesus did not rebuke Thomas because of his doubts. A doubt. Now, this is a different story. If your doubt causes you to become arrogant or, or stubborn or rebellious, if that's what it does, prideful, well, well that's not going to help us. But what, what we know doubt can do, if properly managed, can lead us to the discovery of truth and rock-solid faith. So what did we learn from the hopeless situation of Thomas? When Mary looked at her situation, she had all these fears and worries and anxieties because Jesus is dead. And, and now when Jesus appears to her, he was indicating to her, now's the time for your miracle to Thomas. Jesus is saying what he's saying to many of you that are here today. Now is the time for you to start believing. Now is the time for you to start believing. You do not have to have all the answers. Listen, friends, if you wait until every question you have about God and Jesus and the Bible is answered before you become a Christian. You'll never become a Christian. You just won't because you'll never have all the answers. That doesn't mean you should not search. Doesn't mean that you give up. It does not mean that you become passive. But I'm just saying to you, if you wait until every question about every issue that you've ever had is answered concerning God, Jesus, the Bible, then the reality is you'll never believe. How many of you know there's some things we're never going to fully know the whole answer to until we get to heaven? And things are going to make a lot more sense on that side than they do on this side. I love the story uh, about this, uh, this uh, young college girl uh, when her agnostic professor found out that she was a follower of Jesus, he decided one day in class that he was just going to antagonize her. And this is what he said. He sort of called her out in front of the whole class. And, and this is what he said. He said, you know, a lot of people say that they believe in, in God. And there have been many throughout history who have claimed that they were God. And that is true. Many who have claimed that they were Jesus. He said, how can you be sure? He's asking this young college girl, how can you be sure who told the truth? Which one of these men can you actually believe i love how the girl responded and she responded without hesitation she said i choose to believe the one who rose from the dead 
You know, a lot of people have claimed to be, uh, be God, but they were not. A lot of people, Jesus was not the first one to proclaim that he was the son of God. A lot of people had proclaimed that he, that they, whoever, were the son of God. But friends, I suggest to you that the one you want to believe is the one who came back from the dead. And there's only been one of those. And now is the time. Now is the time to start believing. Look at this verse up on the screen. 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord isn't slow about keeping His promises as some people think He is. In fact, God is patient. Why is God patient? Sometimes, have you ever had this question, why doesn't God make everything that is wrong right now? Why doesn't God j- just bring justice to every, every situation? Have you ever wondered this? Why doesn't God eradicate all forms of evil right now? We live in a pretty, pretty evil world. But you know what? You ought to be glad, and I ought to be glad that God is not has not permanently eliminated everything that is evil because of reality, all of us have a little evil in us. And if God was going to get rid of evil in its totality, the reality is that God would have to get rid of all of us. And there will come a day when accounts are going to be settled and justice and judgment is going to come. But the Lord, look at that verse again, isn't slow about keeping His promises. In fact, God is patient. Why is God patient? Because He wants everyone to turn from sin, no one to be lost. From Mary, we learn in her hopeless situation that now is the time for a miracle. From Thomas, we learn that now is the time to start believing. One more, and then we're done. And I love this guy. You read about him, you just, you, when you read about his life, you would think, hey, if I happen to be living in the same days on the earth when all the disciples were alive, and I could hang out with any of the 12, this is the guy that I would want to hang out with, and that is Simon Peter. He is a colorful individual. Here's a guy that had sort of that life of the party personality. Uh, Simon Peter, he was, he could be, uh, he could be, uh, you know, sort of out there. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was outspoken, but he was lovable, and he was energetic, and he was animated, and he was passionate. He was a risk taker. Do you remember that time when uh, all the disciples are out on a big boat, out on the water in the middle of a lake, some distance away from the shore, big storm comes up, and it says Jesus came walking to them. Uh, toward them in the middle of the night on the surface of the water. And and they all think that they're seeing a ghost. But in order to demonstrate that they are not seeing a ghost, Jesus said, it's not a ghost, it's me, it's Jesus, I'm walking to you. And then Peter, again, the outspoken one, the animated one, he spoke up and he said, well, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to get out of this boat and come and walk on the water. That was an easy call for Jesus. Come on, big boy. You asked for it, you got it, get out of the boat. And therefore, a while until he took his eyes off of Jesus, he was walking on the water. He was a risk taker. You'd enjoy some in Peter, but sometimes, if you look at his whole life, he was overconfident. He's overconfident. He, he did not have a full, you know, self-awareness about his own depth of devotion. You see this play out when one day he calls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, here's what I want you to know. Listen, he said, if everybody, if there happened to be, and, you know, Jesus, if anything like this ever happened, then I want you to know that if everybody abandoned you, if everybody were to forsake you, I would never. Everybody may do it, but Jesus, I never would. And then he probably, you know, brought his volume down a little bit and he said, even if all those 11 over there, the other 11, even if they were to disown you, I would not. And Jesus looked right back at him and he said, yes, you would. He said, in fact, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And that is exactly what happens. 
Jesus is arrested. Never should have been arrested. He never committed any crime. Jesus went to trial, several different trials. All of them were illegal because they had no grounds. There were no legitimate uh, arguments that they had. There was no legitimate reason why Jesus would even have to defend himself. Furthermore, Jesus never tried to defend himself. You read that account. He gets a death penalty. Up until that point, Simon Peter was following Jesus, but if you look at the language of the New Testament, it said that he was following him at a distance. He wasn't getting too close. He had not abandoned him, remember? He had not abandoned him because he said, if everybody, if everybody, including the 11, were to abandon you, I never will. I'm always going to be here. And he's following Jesus technically, but from a distance. But then one person says, hey, I I think you're a follower of Jesus. He said, what, are you kidding me? I'm not a follower of Jesus. A little while later, somebody asked, said, well, I I know you you even, I've seen you with Jesus. And he denies it a second time. I don't even know the man. A third time, he runs into somebody who says, you even speak like followers of Jesus speak. And he begins to curse. And when he does, the rooster crows three times. And he is so heartbroken. He is so guilt-ridden. He fills up shame and regret and remorse that the scripture says that he went out and he wept bitterly. Think of it in this way. He wept in a way that it was inconsolable. You you could have come up to him and just said, hey, and you could not have stopped the tears. If you were to ask him, what is the greatest mistake you've ever made? He wouldn't even have to think twice. Oh, he could tell you a lot of mistakes that he made, but he wouldn't have to think twice the one who loved me, the one who took nails in his hands for me, the one who had poured his life into my life for three years. You want to know my biggest regret? I denied him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he felt such shame, such regret. Now, I want you to take a look at his encounter with Jesus. Look at these verses, several verses We're getting near the end, so I want you to hang in here with me. You've got to see this. John 21, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter was there. Thomas was there. Thomas. Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, which is interesting if we have more time and we don't. It's unique that he's going back to what he was doing before Jesus found him. It's like, you know what? It's over for me. I have just, I, I have so royally screwed up my life that I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going back, I'm going back to fishing. It's what I knew before, it's what I'm going back to now. Uh, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. There goes Peter back into the water again. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. I want to pause there for just a moment. I wonder if this whole scene begins to remind Simon Peter. Do you remember what it says? On the night when he was betraying Jesus, it said that he was out there in the courtyard and he was warming his hands 
at a charcoal fire. And now he sees burning coals once again, some fish on it, some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And I wonder if this is bringing all this back into his mind. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Look at this next part. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, I want to give you some insight right here, all right? I'm going to do this really quick. This will help you. If Jesus ever asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. How many of you know if you're Jesus, you already know the answer? He wasn't just asking, hey, Simon, do you love me? And I'm waiting here to hear, do you, do you not? Jesus knew that he did. But Simon Peter needed to hear his own self say that he did. So he asked him one time. And then he says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's like, yes. Yes, Jesus, I love you. A third time. How many times did Simon Peter deny Jesus? Three How many times did Jesus ask him the same question that Jesus already knows the answer to? Three. Do you really love me? And he says, yes. Lord, I really, I really love you. Again, if you were to ask Simon Peter, what is the biggest regret he ever had in his life? It was when he denied Jesus three times. What do we learn from the hopeless situation of Simon Peter? From Mary, we learn that now is the time for a miracle. From Thomas, we learn now is the time time to start believing. From Simon Peter, do not miss this. Now is the time for a new beginning. And there are many of you that are here. You need and want a new beginning. You would ask Simon Peter, what's your biggest mistake? Would not hesitate. I want to ask you, what is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in your life? What's your greatest failure? How many of you are glad you really don't have to tell me? How many of you are glad, as I am, that we don't have to take your biggest failure, my biggest failure, and project it up on this big screen with your picture so everybody knows? How many of you are glad? How many of you know this? If we started doing that at the first row, by the time we got to your row, you would have already ran out of the building. And so would I. Do you need a new beginning? What is it that has caused you to be loaded down with such guilt and shame and remorse and regret? Jesus would look at you and say, I want to forgive you. I want you to have a new beginning. You see, you cannot eradicate your past, nor can I. It would be great if you could hit a rewind and start that tape all over again, but you can't. But here's what you can do. You can allow Jesus to give you a new beginning. He can do it. I want you to look at this last verse, and then we're going to pray. Here it is, right up here on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Read the rest of it with me, everybody. The past is forgotten and everything is new. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes right there where you're at? Please, nobody moving around. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. What do you need from Jesus today? Maybe you face a hopeless situation and for you, what you need is a miracle. Now is the time for your miracle. For some of you, now is the time for you to start believing. You're never going to have all your questions answered. 
And Jesus is not afraid of your honest doubts. But now is the time for you to start believing. For many of you, now is the time for a new beginning. If you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I need a miracle. Maybe right there where you're at, you just pray this prayer in your heart, in your mind. Right there where you're at, just pray, dear God, dear God, today I'm feeling quite hopeless. I've been disappointed so many times before. I feel frustrated. I'm afraid. I'm stressed out. I know that if you can create the heavens and the earth, and if you can raise your son Jesus from the dead, then certainly you can provide a miracle for me. Jesus, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. Reach out to Jesus and believe. Some of you are a lot like Thomas. You have questions. Maybe for you, you just say that. You just pray in your heart right after me, God, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of doubts. I feel much like Thomas. I'm not arrogant. I'm not stubborn. I'm not rebellious. I just need you to help me to believe. I'm just searching for the truth. So, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Help me to believe. Help me today to start believing. Those of you who just say, you know what, I can identify with Simon Peter's story. I've got, I've got regrets, and I wish I could have some do-overs. I wish I could get a brand new start. You can. That's the good news. And maybe right there where you're at, you'd say, God, I know that you sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus, you died on the cross for me to pay the price for my sins. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've made many mistakes. Because of it, I carry around guilt shame. Jesus, please forgive me. I invite you into my life. Give me a new beginning. If you're here today and you just say, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord, you can do that right here, right now. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've strayed. I've been astray. I've walked away from you. What I know is right. I want to get back on the right path. This morning, I rededicate my life to you. I give myself to you. Maybe, maybe you just say, you know what, I've never prayed a prayer like this in my life, but I know I need to pray it. I know I need to start believing. I know I need a new beginning. I need God to do a miracle, a work of grace in me. So Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I know I'm still going to have some questions, still going to have some doubts, but you will lead me and you will teach me. And right now I receive you as the Savior and the leader of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Can we do that? Now, I mentioned earlier in the service that card. On that card is a couple of boxes near the top. I'm not reading it verbatim, but it says something like this. Today, I rededicated my life to the Lord. If you had drifted away from God, you've been astray, and today you rededicated your life to Jesus, you check that box. Make sure your information is on there. Or maybe you prayed with me, and you've never prayed a prayer like that before. Sometimes it's called a sinner's prayer where sinners just like you and me come and pray and invite Jesus into our life. Maybe you never prayed that prayer before, but you did today. Then you would check that box again, make sure your information is on that card. And then when we get up and leave here in just a moment, 
then you, you walk out. You sort of turn to the right, right back to your left. There's an information table there. And if you'll give your, your card to one of the leaders there, they've got a nice book that they want to give you. From us to you, it's called The Resurrection in You. And I hope you'll pick up a copy. If you did not check either one of those boxes and you're part of our church family, our guest today, there'll be a couple of ushers standing right at these doors over here. And they'll have a popcorn bucket. And you just drop your card in there. I hope you'll be back with us. What we're going to look at next week is so important. You need to hear it. I love you. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful, wonderful Easter. God bless you.